Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back. Today, I'm delighted to have Robin Flooden on the show from Sweden. Robin has been making games since he was 11 years of age. Currently, he's the CEO of Inad Global 7, which consists of seven studios and companies where they develop, market, publish, and distribute PC consoles and mobile games. We're going to talk to Robin about how he got into gaming, what inspired him to start his own gaming company, how do you go about doing this, talk about some of the major challenges he overcame, and what does the future hold? So welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for your time today. Listen, could you just tell us a bit about your background? You know, I know you said at 11 you started developing games and maybe we can go from there and how you, where you're at today. Yeah, so I mean, I've been passionate about games even ever since I was young. I think uh, it was always a place for joy. I think, you know, in life, as you actually at a, at a young age, I was bullied in school. It was a tough time, but I think games for me was a place you found friends. It was a place that made you happy. And it was also something really fun to make. I think you're not only playing the games, but just constructing them. I found it extremely exhilarating, you know, seeing someone play a game and seeing them being happy by the game. And I think that that's really drove me into be very passionate about it. And then I started doing businesses as well quite early, but I ended up going into the army in the special forces of Sweden. And then when I came out, I decided that, uh, okay, I'm going to pursue my, my passion for games and, and start studying. And before I left university, I, I'd launched, uh, I created two companies doing university. And uh, one game I launched before I, I left university, or before the end of the third year, my bachelor, I'd been successful and, and grossed a million dollars from a game together with another guy in the basement. And, uh, and off I go. Uh, and since then, I've been uh, running companies in Sweden for 10 years. Awesome. Very exciting. Cool. Yeah, brilliant. Let's go back. So 11 years of age. I mean, how do you even learn how to develop a game at that age? Or how did you go about doing that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I started in the beginning. It was just purely uh, pen and paper stuff. We were prototyping and uh, playing with our friends on the weekends with systems that we built. And we, we were also using some simple sort of tools uh, from the digital side to start building these games digitally after we prototyped them over pen and paper games that we played in the weekend. Sort of, you know, all system, we built them ourselves and sort of wrote them down. Inspired, of course, at that age, it was mostly very inspired by other games. I think copy paste, but probably <laughs> being yeah, well, almost games, completely about. <laughs> what games were you really into at that age? Uh, so uh, one game that we were really excited about was Diablo. So that was something we copied quite a bit from. It was Heroes of Might and Magic on the digital side. And then there were some local pen and paper games in Sweden, like a game called, some, no one had heard of it, called Eon, and a game called Mutant. And Mutant actually, which is funny today, has actually become a global hit in video games because the Swedish team decided to make the uh, pen and paper into a video game that's uh, now sold, so that's pretty fun. Uh, but uh, back in the day, it's also Swedish local pen and 
an epic game that no one really knows about, but I think outside of Sweden. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and then uh, is military service that's conscription in in Sweden? Is it you had, was that compulsory? You had to go or during the time? Yes, for sure. It was a weird time. Still conscription, but I wanted to do the hardest thing I could. <laughs> so that was uh, sort of why I went and I always liked the challenge. So. I went in and I said, okay, what is the hardest thing you have? And they said, okay, you can become a Green Beret. And I said, okay, that sounds fun. What kind of Green Berets are there? And they said, okay, you can jump from airplanes, you can swim underwater, or you can be a helicopter behind enemy lines. And I said, okay, I don't like jumping from planes, and I don't like swimming a lot. So let's <laughs> <laughs> be, uh, you know, uh, let's do the helicopter thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I so served as, uh, as a cavalry Green Beret for behind enemy lines, search oh. and rescue and stuff like that. And um, Pathfinder was my... So we would bring down sort of attack forces behind enemy lines. Okay. How long were you in the army for? It was little over a year, the, oh. the training. And then, uh, then uh, the rest of the troops uh, continued to serve in Afghanistan and I chose to go to university. Wow, okay. Yeah, because sometimes they give you the option to go to university with the army, but you actually left the army, did you? I went to university yourself. Yeah, it was a choice to leave at that point. And uh, I mean, I still technically is actually in this uh, scripted into the army as a reserve, <laughs> luckily for me, <laughs> what you should say. Uh, hopefully I will, I will leave the reserve soon. Yeah. But, uh, that's sort of how you, they can in Swedish um, system. They cannot force you to do service outside of the country but you can choose to, and some people chose to. Yeah. yeah. It's particularly interesting to me, your background, because I do believe that what makes and determines how you, you lead today and uh, how you work with people and how you build your own business. I mean, was that the military service have a big impact on your life? For sure. I mean, it was an extremely impactful, I think. Uh, you know, it was very tough. We go through some, I mean, mentally and physically extreme exercises. You know, I... I you faced torture training, uh, hunted by dogs, you you know, days without food and water, carrying people who just were exhausted, you know, uh, and, and just, I actually broke both my feet walking, just purely from the weight. I had about 90 kilos on my back. We walked for miles and miles and miles. So it was definitely very impactful, I think. And, but I learned a lot about leadership and what it means to be a strong team. And, and you know, they always taught you this idea of, you are not stronger than your weakest link. And you are now a team. You're not an individual trying to do your own thing. You're trying to do this as a group. And so I, I, and you also learn, you know, hard things weren't as hard. I would say, you know, like uh, after when I came to uni or when I started my business, uh, things that other people would complain about didn't face me because you have that to compare. To. <laughs> yes, yeah, That's yeah, very yeah. good. And then, okay, very interesting. And then so we went to uni. And you, you do then, is this where you developed your first game, proper game? Is it with a, with a friend of yours? Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I did that. I mean, I, I, I was always, was always very inspired by what you could do. And I always felt like I wanted to, I wanted to do it myself. So like day one, I came into the uni and I said, okay, I'm going to build a game company. <laughs> well, <it's simple laughs> so, uh, and then, and then I started, I, I think for me, I was, I've always been sort of, I always know where I want to go and then I just go. And then I run that direction 110% until I get where I want to go. Maybe stubborn <laughs> to right, a degree, yeah. but it's helped me a lot uh, through sort of succeeding, even though it's been very tough sometimes. You know, it takes a lot out of you. You work a lot, uh, but then eventually you go, if you just decide 
and put your mind to it, and uh, that that uh, really helps. I think mm. if you want to succeed. Completely. And so, how did you go about developing the game? I mean, what's involved in this, and what's the process to go about doing something like this? So, I mean, the early days we were doing it in C level coding frameworks. We even built our own engines with some uh, parts, putting it all together. But I, I always found it so fascinating because video games is is, is an extremely complex mm. type type of uh, development, you know, because you have so many different parts that need yeah. to merge. It's a little bit easier actually to build smaller games with two people because you don't have that many people to contend with. Yeah. Okay. The more you know, when a game becomes three D, when it becomes sort of higher graphic, it becomes extremely complex. Uh, you know, from the physics of the computers to the different platforms to uh, all of the things that you need to happen at the speed, uh, you know, which is 60, you know, a lot of people want 60 frames a second. And uh, that means that the computer has to render the image, it actually renders, you know, 60 images every second to give you the idea that things are moving, right? Which they're not, right? It's just right. taking pictures very quickly, you know, still pictures of thing moving like this, right? And that creates sort of the illusion of, of uh, movement. And then you have to calculate the physics and everything happening. All of that sort of has to go on top and on top and on top. And it's very, very you know, just a math to do, uh, you know, real-time physics on top of the graphics and the lighting and all of this in constructing that to happen at uh, 60 frames a second or even 30 frames a second. It's an extremely complex work wow. <laughs> that sits behind it. A little bit easier today when you can sort of, you know, uh, uh, Unreal or Unity, these tools that have sort of okay. made it possible, I think, for more teams to deliver this without having engineering. Back in the day when we started, there was no, <laughs> there was nothing like that that you could do. So it was sort of, you have to build it yourself from scratch okay. with some DLLs that help, you know, some sort of software and so on that you could put together maybe and have help from. How about the design and the that. images and the characters and all that stuff? I mean, did you do all that yourself also? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we built, I think the only thing we didn't do in the beginning was sound. <laughs> That's it. I actually, you know, I came from a, an art background from the beginning, okay. then learned engineering. And I, so I did animation, I did 3D characters, I did the environment, everything myself basically in the beginning. And then started growing the team more and more people sort of took over the roles because right. you could, I mean, you have to be more people if you want to get more content in the end. But yeah. when we started, we, we made games that were very, you know, systematically scaling, which I think, to be honest, I didn't even understand at the time how smart it was <laughs> because that's made it possible. You know, when you have something that generates itself, it just sort of happened to be, I would say in a way, you know, sometimes, you know, it's hard work and then it's luck. And in this case, it was sort of a chance we sort of started with a concept of games in the beginning that wasn't that much easier to build because they were for a small team because they were not as much built on hand you know i have to put the tree here or the character saying something over there but instead maybe something like tetris where you know you're generating a, a concept for the player and that means that you're able to produce a lot of levels and a lot of content for uh, players yes. more on a systematic approach than purely um, you know content driven story advice and so on what was the idea for the first game where did that come from so our first game actually that we that we launched was a game called dwarves it was inspired by lord of the rings and uh, the dwarves that dig too far into moria every time so it was sort of a 
mix between the old school game called Lemmings and Dungeon Keeper, oh, I, I guess. Uh, lemmings, uh, <laughs> but you were you were controlling these little like dwarfs that would yeah. go digging everywhere, and they were ending up in trouble because they were ending up digging out monsters or lava or water, and you just had to sort of manage it until it ran out of control. Uh, very, cool. very simple concept, but it was very fun. How long did it take you to develop that? When did it take a long time? Or I think it took about twelve months, a little yeah. bit over twelve months. Maybe from we started the concept uh, to we finished that game. Of course, we've done many things before that we never finished. And then that was sort of, I think, when we, we started the prototyping, we, we realized this is really fun. So it was, a, it was a good time. I mean, it's very different from the stuff I do today. So, you know, that's sort of the history, right? You know, yeah, today yeah, yeah. I work a lot with very different things, right? I don't uh, barely touch the games. <laughs> yeah, do you miss stuff today? I miss it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I love product development. It is super fun. You know, it's uh, creating something, seeing it come to life, solving problems. But I've always liked solving problems, and you have to solve problems as a CEO of a group as well. And it's uh, you're managing. It's sort of like, in my view, it's still like a game. It's like a strategy game. You know, you have all of these parts moving, and you have to sort of you know, manage your resources and time and uh, to create value. You know, at the end of the day, so. It's a different form of game, but right. you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Okay, so you got the game finished, and then you, you went about launching. I mean, how did you go about launching it and marketing the game? Then the first game. Yeah, so you know, the, we I actually so very early in uh, when I was even a student, I started traveling around on a budget to a lot of game shows, uh, GDC, and everything. And some I actually won some trips as well for awards that we did at the school. Oh, cool. And. When we got the awards, we got to these shows, and I just always have this sort of personality where I just go up and talk to people. I don't know, I just don't have that barrier. It seems yeah, okay. like other people have. It's, yeah. it's been in my favor a lot because I, I just started going up to people and talking to them. I seemed to be just random people <laughs> at the show floor, but eventually I started getting more and more connections in the industry. And, and one of those people I sort of connected with uh, ran a, a company in the US that were starting up publishing. They've done some really successful games and they started the publishing and they said, oh, we want to publish the game. And I said, okay, great. And then they published the game on Steam. This was the early days of Steam. So very good for us. Once again, a little bit of luck, I guess, doing that because today maybe, you know, there's, I don't know, 7,000 games launched in a year on Steam. But when I launched, we launched the game, there were 350 games launched that year on Steam. So, you know, you were, it was you launched in a day, you know, and usually so they would give you the, uh, maybe the five games that launched that week. Okay. And they would be up for a week, you know, so, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was very different era. So it's sort of like the early mobile games, I, I guess, you know, we were in the era of like the early Steam time. So we sort of exposure was very big because you had a big audience, and very little product hitting the market. So. Sort of like the first, you know, uh, when you were doing the first iPhone uh, things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people were very successful just because they sort of were there when it started hitting. Because people wanted something to play on their iPhone and there weren't that many. Now there's 500,000 apps yeah. launched a year or so. Of course. Uh, that must have been amazing. So once you got launched, it must have been, I mean, I can only imagine how exciting it was. Start to see people start downloading, downloading the game or buying the game. Um, was it a yeah, free? Sure. So how did that work? Was it a free game, or was it you buy, you download, or did you pay for it? Or? It was a paid game, so you paid. I think it was fourteen ninety nine or something like that for the yeah. game at the time. 
and then of course you know during the time it was on sale and so on but uh, generally did quite well you know it like i said i think it ended up selling 250,000 units or something like that wow. which uh, uh, was quite impressive <laughs> for, the, yeah, yeah. for being uh, two guys and uh, super exciting you know and there was a lot lot of people playing the game and so on so the, it was very rewarding for sure it's, it's, it's a very exciting part i think of games is also that you're you know you're bringing joy to people you know actually one of the best moments of my career was a little bit later i met uh, this teacher and she got to know that i had made this game and she said that she had this five-year-old in the class and it was his favorite game that works wow. you know the, the game and just that idea of you touch people these kids they're playing your game and they're very inspired by it and then uh, you know that for me it gives you a lot of extra energy for yeah. sure amazing absolutely amazing so that was just i mean that was incredible i mean definitely a lot of, i think definitely look played a big part there in getting that big takeoff because i mean i guess from there you that was a fantastic foundation to take it you to the next level and i suppose I don't know what happened. What was what was next from there? Yeah, yeah. So after that, I had some calls from publishers who wanted to work with me, and me, me and the partner, we actually went different ways. After the game, the game is still selling today, actually making money many many years after. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and, and no, when I'm saying splitting ways, there were no bad blood. We're still very good friends. Yeah, we play okay. games together and so on. It was just. I wanted to build something bigger and he wanted to stay with smaller games, with smaller teams, because that's right. what he was passionate about. So it's very mutual. It was just, I said, okay, I'm going to continue. And I'd, I had another company that I'd set up before the company we did together. And that company, I took and started working with a publisher called Paradox at the time. Okay. And then I started the journey of sort of growing. And then within, yeah, so after launching the game, maybe I got to 30 employees within <laughs> within the within the first year of my career starting uh, as I left university, and uh, so it was quite a let's say fire trial, <laughs> in a baptism of fire, as yeah, we say, yeah, yeah. Very, you know, <laughs> <It's a big laughs> learning how to be a CEO, <laughs> and uh, and there was a lot of uh, you know, and, and I have to say, you know, I then I had uh, I had quite a big downturn and lost almost everything oh. I built up uh, because. I would say I grew too fast without sort of really knowing all the pieces, but that was actually one of the best experiences of my life because even though it was extremely tough, I had to fire 40 people. Coming back from that, that gave me sort of a really strong base to build on, and that's what made me, I think, the business I have today so successful. As I took the core team, we took out of the 45 people we had, we had six left. And out of those six, we now built it to 200. So that's sort of that experience sort of built that understanding of the risk that was involved. And I think that that's very hard when you're young to understand, you know, what the downside is, you know, because you think more, you're immortal, everything is easy, especially as you, you know, you have that upwind coming out of university, how, how can you fail, right? Yeah. And then failing very early, very hard, you know, when it doesn't, I would say, matter as much as in the future, you get that reality check and realize, you know, I can fail, you know, I, I am not this yeah, superstar right. that can just do whatever I want. And I think that's a humility that is very important to have. And I still think about every day, you know, how, you know, I, I still understand that even if I'm successful tomorrow, I could lose everything. If I'm not careful and if I don't work really, really hard every day to sustain the value of the company and where we're going. And even then, you never know, you know, like many businesses today with Corona probably yes. could have never guessed that that was going to hit their business. And I think that is a humility you have to have building a business and I was very lucky to have that early in my career. Wow. So okay, so you went through that tough time, back to six people, 
did you go back to developing a new game then or how did you kick it off from there or did you kind of kind of was it like back to basics let's start again kind of thing yeah so i i called some friends in the industry so i was lucky in that fact that i'd still been traveling a lot and got a lot of friends in the industry so i called a few friends and i was honest i said okay we you know we're out on our luck we have nothing but i have, I have the six best guys you know okay. we'll work day and night for almost nothing you just give us a contract and they were like, okay, we'll give you a contract. And that's sort of how we managed to sort of build up the studio exactly. again. And we delivered the game in, I mean, it was, a, I think, six months or something from scratch to finish for them, <laughs> which was insane. And, 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 you know, we weren't paid much for it, but it was sort of the start. And then that business built into sort of that core team was extreme because it is sort of like, you know, we, we became the nucleus of the team because everyone who didn't match the team, they were fired or, but they were gone, right? So we have only had the really hardcore people left. And with that, we started sort of a, a SWAT team consultancy studio that, that then led to us uh, ending up working on some really big IP, like Dead Island and many other really big IP where we came in to sort of help the teams and deliver games. And then that, because we got this reputation from that sort of start, we got this reputation for being... <laughs> working day and night and, and, and delivering really, really impossible projects. I wouldn't have recommended it as maybe the start of your career from, uh, you know, it was very, very tough, you know, working 16 hours, many, many, many days. But it, it was a start, you know, and it got us sort of going again and growing again. It was an important sort of step in the journey to where we are today. And is that the core business now, the consultancy, developing other games or...? No, today we've actually decreased our consultancy business. We have 100 developers today in our development segment. We used to maybe consult 60 of those. Now we've grown, gone down to maybe 15 or 16 of those. And now we are actually shifting the development side into own IP. And then because we have revenue and profits in other branches, our publishing and our marketing, we're able to sort of invest that money into that and that's so our hope is you know long term uh, our goal is that we will completely be moving into own IT or and have a very small segment on consultancy uh, in the business but we still like having it it's something that we still learn a lot from and, and uh, it stays us in connection and also it's something we can use even internally today uh, we actually do consult internally between the different companies uh, okay. yeah right yeah wow interesting yeah because I saw you know, I see now you're doing, you know, developing, marketing, publishing, supporting. Yeah, so how does that compare to developing games today? You mentioned it earlier, but how does that compare to developing games, you know, when you started? Is it completely different now? How has it evolved? Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, there are these engines that you can use. Sometimes we use engines for development. You know, it makes it very different in the way you develop sometimes. You know, the size of games we do today are much bigger uh, generally, but also it's a very tough market, I think, games okay. today. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of competition. There's element of hit-drivenness to the business, which make it very, very hard to, to predict. But it's also, you know, when you hit the, the home, there's some great revenue to be had okay. and, and very, very good margins. So... There's been a lot of developments, and I think you know, gaming is one of those things that are always in movement because it's tech-related. I think on the good side for us, compared to something like maybe music or film, we haven't so much been hit by tech from the side because we are tech. And that's been sort of a saving grace. I had a discussion with some movie guys, and they've been completely you know, sidelined by Netflix and all of this. Mm. It's changing their industry overnight to something completely 
different and so on with music, you know, with Spotify. And this has sort of changed the industry completely. But gaming hasn't really, you know, you know, we weren't surprised by streaming or these new technologies or VR. We were part of the development of them. So I think that that, that has helped us. But uh, and it's so core to, you know, from the first days of gaming, if you ever followed any video games, you know, it's been constantly evolving and very quickly, you know, the iterations had, of course, I think it's not maybe as fast in terms of you can't see the visual leaps maybe anymore the same way you did, you know, if you follow the early, you know, 8 bits to 16 bits to 64 bits and so on, you know, you know, you would look at E3 and you see, wow, like what are they producing this next generation of consoles? And I, but we still have, I think, recently come out with some really, as an industry, some really impressive leaps still in terms of what we can deliver from a technological point of view. Uh, that's super exciting, I think, though. Uh, yeah. But it is also challenging because you have a market that's constantly evolving, right? Yeah. And you have to be on top of that. How do you stay on top of that? I mean, it must be very, very difficult. I think part of it is interest, right? So I have a big passion for it. Yeah. You know, it's the thing, you know, most people, maybe they go home and they, maybe they watch a film, maybe they're passionate about cars. I'm passionate about games, right? So I go and I listen and I learn because I think that's the most fun thing there is, right? And that's the, our team as well. I think that's what our tech people and the people behind the company, they are excited. You know, when new toys come around, you know, the VR kits and so on, I was one of the first to try them out. And, uh, even though I think VR has some ways to go, it still was one of, I, you know, I had one of the early kits and started playing around with it before it was even up on the market, right? And just because I'm interested in it, not because it maybe I thought it would be instantly integratable in the business. And so is the rest of the team. Everyone's excited, right? And I think you have to have a team that's very excited about the tech and the, and the development of the industry to stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a key element, I think, loving to learn. How, is it getting more and more difficult now to come up with new games and new ideas to differentiate yourself from the other games out there? Do you find... It's definitely hard, but there are some, I think, there are some good niches. And as the market has been evolving, you've had these sort of big budget games sort of separate themselves from the pack. I would say like Assassin's Creed or Destiny and these famous ones because they're getting up to $100 million budgets and there's no startup that can compete with that. They just yeah. doesn't happen. There's maybe one who gets started. But it's very hard to go to someone and say, hey, you know, can you give me $100 million? I'm just going to make this game. I promise you, we're, we're great. You know, there's very few companies that can do that. And even, you know, even us, you know, we have that's basically our market cap is $140 million. <laughs> you know, that would be quite hard for us to raise just to say, hey, we're going to make one game. But what's happened then is you have this sort of smaller indie developers that are flourishing because they're doing very unique things. And then you have these big titles that sort of, they're not innovating a lot, but they are very, you know, exciting uh, from a visual point of view and the sort of story and the narratives and so on the, on the tale of maybe multiplayer gameplay and the size and scope of them. You know, they're sort of the blockbusters of the movie industry, I guess. But that sort of also creates this middle ground where, you know, you've had companies sort of either grow up to there or be in this sort of small bucket. And for us, sort of being in the middle, is there aren't as much competition there okay. as they're sort of as long as you can find your own niches. And that's what's great about games. You know, it's almost like if you look at something like software, you know, there's always a new thing you can come up with. You know, it's not defined by, you know, it's not like a movie where you say, oh, this is the story and this is how long the game is. You know, a game can be short, a game can be long, you know, it could be multiplayer, it could have 
strategy modes, it can combine them, you know, you could, someone comes up with Minecraft and that sort of revives the entire idea of what the industry should be doing. So there's constantly ways to find a niche. For us, for example, one of our niches is we have this game called 83. And it's, um, if you look at it at a glance, it's a shooter, it's a multiplayer shooter with many players on a big map. So that's 1983. The story is that uh, it's what's called alternative history. So it's extremely historically accurate for the era with one difference. And that's the Star Wars program worked and the Russians got their hands on it. And that meant that there's no nukes in the world. So it's basically World War III, but without nukes, during 1983. And that team, so it's one of our studios who does that. They're very famous for these historical games. They target a very specific audience. And that audience cares extremely much about the buttons on the church. And they, oh, they okay. would never play a battlefield, even though they look similar, yeah. because battlefield is too casual in their approach, right? And those niches exist a lot in gaming, you know, and you can generate quite a lot of money, you know, giving those gamers something to play because they might not like the Assassin's Creed or Destiny. They don't think it's interesting to them. And, and that gives, that constantly spans out in these sort of branches in the industry. And I think and that makes it also very interesting because there's always different niches that you can find and build from. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And the commercial model then, is it more about buying the game up front? Or is it giving a free game and you know getting users to actually spend money in the, within the game? Or is it a mix? Yeah, so this game is a premium game, but it's a live service game. So usually it comes at a lower cost eventually, and then we do a lot of deals over time. So okay. you know it's updating it, new expansions, and so on. So it's a little bit of a mix, I would say, of the sort of in this specific case, the premium model with the uh, with the long tail of content, viable content for players. Okay, and if you had, you know, two game develop young game developers, and I want to start a own game or company, based on your experience, what would you recommend for them, uh, Robin? Now, if you would start now, I, I would really, you know, as a new developer, and I think there's a lot of opportunities, but I would really try to think about how are you unique in the market space. Okay. How you, you know, look at all the games, you know, go in and do some market research and see how many games are launched, when are they launched, where are they launched. And why is your idea unique? Is it really unique? Have other people made it before? Because this is something I see a lot. You know, oh, I have a great idea. And you go, yeah, but there's 10 others. You know, how, why is someone going to care about your idea? You know, specifically, you know, uh, that's very important. And how is your visuals or whatever you're doing something that's serving a market? And I think a lot of young uh, developers, they're very excited, but usually they say, oh, I'm just going to do this other game that's much bigger, you know, and I have this small twist on it, and that's never going to work. You have to come up, you know, with something unique and find your mark or a market niche. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you make uh, a game about building houses, and no one's done that before, you know, right. and then it might be massive. You know, there's a really good example of that that team that I met a few times that's generating, I mean, forty million dollars a year on uh, these uh, truck yeah. simulator games, you know. So it's simulating you have driving uh, this far, uh, farming simulator, right? So you're simulating a farm where you're driving farming vehicles, and that's generating an insane amount of money every year. And prof- I think you know, profit is like seventy percent margins, net margins on that. So finding that, you know, who are the gamers that don't have a thing? You know, that's much more interesting than copying others and just being number one hundred and forty-five of a game. 
if you can find that, that also means quality can be lower because you have no competition and you will be able to increase quality when you get revenue and profits into the company. So if you want to create a company gaming today, I would really look at where, where do I find a strength that no one else has? Like where do I find the market spot that no one talked about? Yeah, but how do you, yeah, very interesting. Thank you. But how do you then, you know, publish it or market it? Is it difficult to get a company to publish it for you or do you, can you do it yourself? I think if you have a good product, it's, there's a lot of publishers. I mean, we do, we do sign smaller developers that has cool ideas that are two guys in the basement. If we think it's a quality product that we can sell. So finding a publisher is one way. I, I would say, you know, self-publishing is definitely a way as well. But it is quite good to have a partner and you can do sort of partner agreements. You know, we have a partner agreement where let's say that you, maybe it's your life savings, maybe you have some reason why you're able to develop it yourself, but you, you're not asking for funding per se. You're just asking for marketing and publishing support and getting out on all the platforms. And that would usually, for us, it would be a 30-70 split to you. So then we would take after all of the costs. So, you know, first we take the cost back of marketing and so on. And then, you know, and then whatever margins the store and so on has. And then, you know, whatever comes back to us, we would take 30 and we would get 70 as a developer. Mm-hmm. And there are a few publishers that does similar similar structures. Some take IP, we don't take IP. So you would, you know, we'd remain with you. So in the future, you could always go to someone else uh, and so on. But as I would say, today it's become more and more important with this uh, function uh, to have a support. Like I said, you know, when I launched the game, we have support at the time as well, but yeah. When you have 350 games launched digitally on like a platform like Steam, which is 90% of sales, maybe it's lower now with Epic, but let's say Epic and, and Steam is 98% of the market. So there's two platforms on PC. You know, launching there with no support, no marketing, it's very, very tough to make money okay. if you have nothing, no one helping you today compared to, so it's very dangerous to sort of look at the past and think that that's going to be a telling of what happens now in the market. And I think if it's something you can take away from this, is definitely a much more difficult market today because there's so much more product being shown for consumers. doesn't mean they're good products, but there are more. And that sort of flow of product has sort of led to many consumers. Does, you know, they're not engaging. There's too much. So they're sort of only engaging with the stuff they know or understand and the bigger brands. So that's sort of made it harder again. You know, during one year, it was very easy for indie developers to reach directly to consumers this digital platform and I think now it's sort of once again become more important for these gatekeepers for consumer sake you know that they, they're looking for that gatekeeping because they're not interested in spending their time looking through a thousand games to find the one that they like yeah okay makes sense God well whatever industry I suppose it's just so much competition getting across the board it's how do you stand out really is the key isn't it and be unique but I'm a strong believer in partners myself and partnerships I do believe that's a great way to go it looks like it's the same in gaming Tell us about, I mean, so how does the future look? I mean, in terms of gaming and for you also, where what's the, where, where are we going to? It's a very, it is a broad question because there's, there's many different, I think, futures for games. One thing that we've seen a lot is this sort of fracturing of platforms in gaming, you know, and those, I think originally many people thought that these platforms would lead to Let's say mobile, when mobile came. Okay, mobile is going to eat PC and console alive and it's gone. You know? yeah. That hasn't been the case. PC and console has kept growing. And then mobile just grew to this massive bubble and now it's there. You know, now it's at really? its size yeah. and it's growing year over year still. 
you know, PC console sits on the side and it does its own thing and it just sort of remained at that size. PC, you know, people have been telling me that PC is going to die 15 years now. It's, uh, it's been a dead platform for 15 years and it keeps growing, you know. So the, now we have VR, streaming is coming in as a technology. Both of those technologies are still, I would say personally, I don't think they're there yet, uh, okay. but they're very interesting and seeing maybe someone finds, for example, on streaming, you know, it's not maybe perfect in sort of lag and latency and so on as you would maybe a consumer would want or maybe the mark maybe it's not just a model that doesn't fit as many consumer might not want to buy a game that they're streaming for 60 bucks for example but i think it's going to find its market eventually and and it might also be like mobile that people realize that there's a different type of game that's going to fit on streaming and i think what we do know is that people are consuming more and more content and you know people Will and there's definitely been a switch more and more into gaming. I think gaming is sort of dipping up market space from Netflix, from everyone else. It's a more engaging way generally for consumers to to have fun. I think so. That's been very positive for the market, and I think we're going to see all of these sort of split communities of gamers. And there's going to be also a consolidation of some platform games. So there's going to be like Fortnite as now is a mobile game, but it's also on PC and it's also on Switch and it's also on Xbox and, and console. So that's also happening. So uh, that's something, you know, we're also seeing the core games from PC console are now moving over to con- mobile. It didn't happen the way people thought. You know, they thought mobile would sort of eat up PC console, but now it seems like PC console, you know, eating its way into to mobile instead as consumers are maturing and wanting more complex games. So I would say it's a very, what we're looking at as a future is many platforms, consumers will get their content in many different ways. Um, and that's very exciting, I think, you know, for the industry. It's, it's as a general, a very exciting future. And we're seeing technology is constantly helping the way we evolve, the way we think about making games. But then you also see that there's a strong will for consumers to just play things they like, you know, so they're going to play their shooters and they're going to play the RTS because they want to play those games and they like them. And those aren't going away either. So um, that at least seems to be the, the trend is that the pie is getting bigger. Yeah, um, and mix the, gener- the different generations also. So how about you yourself? I mean, what does the future hold for you? Yeah, so we, I mean, today the, the company, we have a buy and build strategy. We're listed on the NASDAQ in Stockholm, okay. uh, First North. And our goal is that we are adding more companies into our group. With uh, Last year, we focused uh, on building a platform, having the publishing, the marketing, the services side, the uh, analytics, and many of these things. And this year, our main focus, we have two focuses. One is extending our platform, and, and second is buying companies into our group that we can help scale, so making one plus one, three. And that's super exciting. So our goal for this year is to do more acquisitions uh, like we did last year. Wow. Big company, so ahead. I look forward to following it. Listen, Robin, thank, thank you. you so much for your time today. Really insightful, very interesting, and thank you for sharing all that knowledge. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a fun talk. Thanks, Robin. <laughs>